cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you teach us, that you guide us, that you mold us, you shape us, you direct us. You confront us, you encourage us, you lift us up. We thank you, Lord, that you speak, that you speak to your servants and your children. We say together today, Lord, that we're listening. We ask you to speak again. Give us insight into this passage of Scripture. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and tender hearts that would receive. Lord, give us feet that would walk quickly to do your will. Strengthen us for service in your name that our work in this world would be as your very own. And Lord, we pray that a word of hope and life would be found on our lips. This is our prayer in the strong name of Jesus. And we pray together saying, Amen and Amen. Please be seated and take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll read again our verse for today. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If this is the first time you've been here this summer, uh, we are in a series of sermons called the Coffee Cup uh, Series. Coffee Cup Verses. These are the verses of Scripture that for one reason or another wind up on coffee cups or t-shirts uh, or verses of Scripture that are cross-stitched by faithful nanas, you know, to give to their granddaughters uh, at important times during their lives. Coffee cup verses. You know what I'm talking about. How many of you have coffee cups with Bible verses on them? Let's just go ahead and see that again. Yes, you do. You've got them. Do any of you happen to have this one? Uh, it seems like every week uh, somebody comes and shows me a Bible cover or, or a bookmark or something with a verse of the day on it. Well, I used to have a t-shirt with this verse on it. Uh, and it had this guy standing in the middle of a river casting a fly rod, and it had this verse underneath the bottom of it. I guess because the word cast was in there or something. I mean, when you have to sell this stuff to guys, you, you stretch sometimes, you know. <laughs> but I've seen a lot of this, a lot of fishing scenes with this verse of Scripture. Cast all your anxiety on the Lord because He cares for you. Standing alone, there's some really great stuff in just that one sentence, Right? But when you put the ruby in the ring, when you get the whole context around it, it becomes just so much richer and so much more beautiful. The, the Bible context for this, the whole book context, is that Peter's writing to a group of Christians that are faced with great challenges and stress. Uh, they're living under persecution. In fact, the, the book begins like this in chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ, to be sprinkled with His blood, may grace and peace be yours in abundance. Then he goes on to talk about the living hope that we have in Christ. He goes on to encourage them in the face of great trial, uh, to hang in there, to stick it out, to be encouraged, not to give up, 
uh, to celebrate the bigness and the beauty of Christ and, and this great gospel that angels uh, are, are, are jealous of us because of. All that he just paints this beautiful picture of the power and the beauty uh, and the grace of the gospel, the depths and the riches of the gospel, and he encourages them to stay faithful uh, in their season of stress uh, and persecution and, and anxiety. Well, within that larger text, there is this sort of immediate context that begins in chapter 5, oh, I don't know, uh, about halfway through verse 5. Uh, and it says, all of you, it's everybody that was listening, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Be steadfast in your faith. For you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. This is sort of the high point of this word of encouragement from Peter to these struggling brothers and sisters in the faith. He gives them a, a, a picture of what it is like to lean on God and to draw strength and life from God. He calls them to, to cast their cares, to cast their anxiety onto God because Peter knew the corrosive power of anxiety in the heart of a person a follower of Christ, he knew the withering effect that fear and worry and anxiety had on God's people. And so he gives them this strategy of casting, of casting these anxieties on God. And we pause right here and we say, okay, Peter, great. How do you go about it? Well, I think as we linger over these sentences, we, we get something of a strategy of casting our anxieties on God, recognizing indeed that He does love us. And if we name the name of Christ, if we profess to be followers of Jesus, at the core of that, we believe, we, we say with our mouth that we know God loves us and we know God cares. And so that's the starting point for Peter. He says, God cares about you. You need to get that down in your bones. He says, God cares about you. So don't wear your anxieties alone, but cast them on this caring God. And, and he shows them how to do that. If you have a hand, at least one hand, uh, you know, uh, you have some fingers there that remind you of different things. Sometimes it's helpful to just count off. I have to count things a lot. I, I wasn't great at math. I still count on my fingers you know, it's okay. Sometimes I have to take off my shoes if it gets real complicated. They go to the toes. 
but my fingers have helped me a lot to just keep track of things. And so today, I'm, I'm just going to suggest sort of, sort of five things that are in this text that help us learn how to cast our anxiety on, on God. The first one is that we can think. If you jot down things and you have a number two lead pencil, you can start with that. We can think. He says, cast all your anxiety on him. All of them. Uh, he just understood that their minds had a treadmill with a little squirrel on it that just ran. <laughs> Do you have that, that squirrel in your mind that just runs and gives your life energy and then zaps your energy all at the same time? You're just thinking all the time. Well, we can think as followers of Jesus. We, we don't have to just let our thoughts happen to us. We can actively be thinkers, and we can take these thoughts, we can take these anxieties and these worries and these things, and we can do something with them. We don't have to be victimized by these, these thoughts that run like wild squirrels in, in our head. And part of following Christ is learning uh, how to think and how to be mindful and how to be thoughtful uh, and how not to just let life happen to you. Years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote very persuasively about what he called sins of thought. Thought sins. Uh, and let me read a portion of it to you. He said, Christian writers seem to be so very strict at one moment and so very free and easy at another. They talk about mere sins of thought as if they were immensely important. And then they talk about the most frightful murders and treacheries as if you had only got to repent and all would be forgiven. But I have come to see that they are right. What they are always thinking of is the mark which the action leaves on that tiny central self which no one sees in this life but which each of us will have to endure or enjoy for forever. One man may be so placed by his anger that his anger sheds blood the blood of thousands and another so placed that however angry he gets he will only be laughed at but the little mark on the soul may be much the same in both each has done something to himself which unless he repents will make it harder for him to keep out of the rage next time he is tempted and will make the rage worse when he does fall into it each of them if he seriously turns to god can have that twist in the central man straightened out again. Each, in the long run, doomed if he will not. The bigness or the smallness of the thing seen from the outside is not what really matters. Lewis was so perceptive. He had a life that was saturated uh, by reading two things, Scripture and people. He watched people. He, he lived life. He looked at his own experiences, his own heart, and he read the Bible. And he came to understand that our interior life matters and that the way we think matters. And he pointed out very clearly that it, it, as we think, there are, there are some thought patterns that are just inherently sinful. Where we're given to, to, to just marinating in bitterness or anger or, or whatever. And as we do that, we are training our, our brain. He gave the example of anger. He said that when we, when we have anger in our minds, when we have angry thoughts and we just stew in that. We give in and we have fits of rage or, or outbursts of anger. And that just makes it more difficult the next time. 
We're developing, he would say, possibly mental muscles, ruts. You might call it strongholds of the mind. And he says this, he says, but any person who honestly comes to God and repents of those patterns of thought and asks God to deal with that mark that's on your heart, then God will begin to change that inner person. And it becomes progressively more uh, manageable and progressively easier to do what is right. Lewis was talking about what people today call neuroplasticity. Just the way our brains work. Just the way our minds work. There are a lot of people who think that we are just water and meat and electricity. That we're like cocker spaniels or buzzards. We are not. We are not. We are soulful beings. God gave us a mind. God gave us a mind. And with that mind, we can develop our lives in His grace and alongside Him in such a way that we grow in grace as His disciples. That's pretty amazing. I'm reading a lot about this now. Uh, I'm reading an, an awful, an awful lot about, about this. And, and there's so many who write convincingly about the way we think. I'm just fascinated about this because I want to know why you do the things you do. And more importantly, I want to know why I do the things I do. I want to know how we're put together and, and, and how that works and how God works and how, how, it, how it all makes sense. And so I'm reading a lot about this. Uh, Dr. Cook recommended a great book in, in this family of, of research by Southwick and Charney uh, about resilience. And there is a line in that book uh, that just says this, Just as we can train our body to become fit and resilient, so we can train our brains. Peter 2,000 years ago was giving a group of Christians spread out in the world under stress and persecution tools for training their brains for resilience. He said, all that stuff in there? All that stuff in there? You're not a victim of all of that stuff in there. You, you, you don't have to be terrorized by all that stuff in there. You can do something about all that stuff in there. You can take it and you can cast it on him. For he cares for you. So friends, take control of your thoughts. Take them captive. And recognize that you're not just a bag of water. But you've been created in the image of God. You're a soulful human being. We can think. We can pray. Peter said, humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Cast your anxiety on Him. Humble people pray. He was just reminding them that they weren't in this alone, that they weren't, that they weren't about this alone, that God cared for them, and, and that they needed to very purposefully and intentionally bring their anxieties and their troubles and their fears and all that stuff that gave pressure to their hearts and that they needed to bring that to God and voice that in prayer. 
Already in chapter 4, he talked about ministry. He talked about the life of faith. He talked around verse 11 about how if you, uh, if you speak, you should speak as it was the very oracles of God. If you serve, you should serve in the strength that God provides. Here are three words for you this morning. God provides strength. Not to insult you, uh, but you are very intelligent people. Some of you have more degrees than a thermometer. That's all right. I'm proud of you. It's awesome. But I want you to play along with me because I think we need to get these kind of words deep down in our heart. And everybody gets to play here. You don't ascend to the mountaintop where you don't need this. And you're never too far in the valley where these words don't become real. God provides strength. Just say it with me. God provides strength. You say, man, I hadn't prayed in a long time and you're calling me to pray. No, you would never say that because we don't confess to that. But in every believer's life, I believe there are long seasons where we just quit talking to God. For one reason or another, we just quit doing it. If you're one of those people, or if you need a simple exercise, let me me get you started. Uh, I call this dog walking prayers, or elliptical prayers, or, or, or treadmill prayers. Or maybe just sitting in your chair prayers, if that's more your kind of thing. These three words, hide them in your heart. And on the elliptical machine, turn off the news. You've already seen it on a loop three times that day. It's not going to change. Turn it off. Pull your earbuds out. Let this just work its way through your mind. God provides strength. God provides strength. Just let that very simple truth rattle around in your heart for a while. You've been thinking about everything. Thoughts have been flying into your brain uh, like canaries out of a mine. There's still life in there, okay? You're still, you're still going. There's still some stuff cooking. Well, let's, let's do it intentionally. Let, let's try to harness that, that mind for a moment. God provides strength. Just let that go for a while until, until you're at a place where you can turn that into a, into a prayer. And it may not even be a genuine prayer at first. Maybe it's just the words, God, give me strength. And pray it till you can pray it. And I think you know what that means. Sometimes you have to pray until you can pray Pray it until you can pray it, and then it becomes real. And you're out there with your bird dog, or you're there on the elliptical machine, and there's no news, and there's no noise, and there's no rattling, and it's just you and the grass that's being clipped underneath your hands. It's just you and God. And and somewhere in the midst of that very simple truth in your mind, it becomes a real prayer for you, you, and you have the faith to utter it. God, give me strength. Give it to me. I need it. And just from your heart, you begin to talk to God who does indeed care for you. And I believe you'll come to a place where you'll be able to to whisper a prayer of gratitude knowing that he has visited you with his mercy. And I don't know. I don't think you'll have goosebumps. I, I don't think you'll fall over. I don't think you'll jump real high. But I think you'll talk to God who loves you. Who loves you. You can think, and you can pray, and please continue to think while you pray. It's helpful.
Third thing, we can resist. The language in this text is a combative language. It, there's a, a language of resisting the adversary, resisting the accuser, uh, resisting the one who would come against you uh, in darkness. Resist. Why is that language there? Because when, when our hearts are heavy, when we're troubled, when we're in anxiety, uh, we are very vulnerable to all manner of darkness. Our thoughts get warped, our decisions become fuzzy, our behavior gets weird. We're very vulnerable. And this text calls us to resist, actively resist that, that darkness. Uh, and that's just an awareness that the reality of that presence is there. And the great possibility of doing really horrible stuff is there. It's to be aware. And it's to actively do something with our thoughts. And it's to bring it to God. It's to do this, this casting of our cares. And in doing that, we are resisting. We're, we are resisting. And it's important to let me give you a little illustration to, to drive it home. Uh, a while back, I, I said here that I, I was given a new record player by my family that I like to listen to old vinyl. Uh, and, and Jerry Jones, my friend Jerry, said this is a great opportunity uh, to, to do something with old vinyl. And so one day, Jerry came by the office. He comes downtown to check his mail, and he came by and he said, Hey, would you be interested in some old records? And I said, I don't know. Let me pray about it. Uh, <laughs> I said, yeah, man. I said, yeah, brother, friend. And so Jerry, uh, not long after that, brought me these massive uh, cardboard boxes full of old vinyl. And there were some solid gold vinyl in there. And, and most of it, I think he was eager to give it away because most of it wasn't his. It was Gene Ann's. Uh, <laughs> or should I say Gene Reynolds. Gene. Uh, here you go. The, we have the Abbey Road record right here. Now, these records had been stored in all manner of storage facilities since they were married. And so uh, they got a little warp to them. Have you ever listened to a warped record? It's kind of fun. You just watch the wave go, you know. <laughs> you put it on the turntable and you watch the wave. It's, 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 you know, you go places, you never leave your house. Well, there was this solid gold records from Jean Ann. There was one record in the pile from Jerry. One record. Good Lord, there was one record in the pile from Jerry. Secrets of Successful Varmint Hunting. <laughs> I mean, look at that. You know, the first record I listened to was Secrets of Successful Varmint Hunting. I mean, I just couldn't withstand it. I mean, just the cover alone was enough. Uh, the secret to hunting varmint is to act like you're wounded. In fact, uh, I have a good friend who's an attorney. I won't name his name, Marcus Brooks. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and he is in, into all kind of high-tech redneckery. You know what that is, high-tech? I mean, you get a little money, and you get dangerous, you know, and uh, if you have guns and stuff. And, and he's got mechanical varmint collars. And, and I, I've helped him assemble and use these things, uh, Marlin in, in, in West Texas. And a mechanical varmint collar, you go out into a field somewhere, uh, and there's this little fuzzy cotton ball. looks like a, a, a wounded rabbit. On a, on, it's mechanical, and it, it, it looks like Bugs Bunny's out in the middle of a field. <laughs> I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> and affixed to this bunny tail is, is this awful screeching recording of a wounded rabbit. Kind of like, it's blood-curdling, horrible thing. And you go put that out in the field, and that attracts the varmints. 
because they don't want to take out the hard, tough ones. I mean, you know, one pack of coyotes against a healthy rabbit, no deal, man. The rabbit wins every time. It's not how it works, y'all. Uh, but they're attracted to the easy prey. They're attracted to that. And Peter knew 2,000 years ago that the darkness attracts the wounded. And y'all, we're all wounded in one way or another, sometimes in a more acute way than other times. Our hearts get heavy, and we send out that signal. And so what do we do? We have to actively resist that and turn that signal into a prayer. And we bring that, that, that sound of our pain to God in a prayer. And we're not alone. And light enters that darkness. And as James promised, as we humble ourselves and resist the devil, he must flee. Yeah, we're wounded. But we're wounded and we're God's. And that makes a huge, huge, huge difference. We think. We pray. We resist. We connect. He said in this passage of Scripture, you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. When our hearts are full of anxiety and fear, uh, when, when we're in those places where it's, where it's tough and it's stressful, we often feel like we are all alone. And that fear breeds, breeds other things. And we, we disconnect ourselves uh, from others, and we get all alone, physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually. And Peter writes to him, he says, oh no, when there's, when there's anxiety in the heart, when the, when the soul is heavy, when your heart stoops, that's the Old Testament language for it, when your heart is stooping over, remember your brothers and sisters. Remember that all over the world, you have brothers and sisters that are facing the same kind of stuff. Remember them. Remember them and draw near to them. If you can't do it physically, even in your heart, draw near to them knowing you're not alone. You can connect. And finally, you can hope. The words in here that I think give the most hope of all of them. These little words, verse 10. For a little while. We may not be exempt from all suffering. That's not a promise of the scriptures. In fact, Jesus said it pretty plainly. In this world, you will have trouble. We live in a world that's been marked by sin, ours and others. We live in a world that's full of challenges. And we have not been exempted from facing those challenges. But the word that Peter gave, and a word that's current and alive today, is that all of this, all of this stuff we're struggling with and fighting and worried about, all this stuff, 
It's for a little while. And then after a little while, there is God and there is life. And we've sung about these pictures today that we have from Scripture. And there is hope. And Peter wrote about this God of hope, the one who uh, was the one of eternal glory, the God of forever and the God of love. And during the little while, our vision of the eternal makes a very real difference in how we go about living our days and the kind of way we go about living in relation to other people. And it helps us. It helps us cast our anxiety on the Lord. Ellie Wiesel died this weekend. I remember in middle school reading Night. I mean, they, middle school now, that was kind of was something. I'll never forget that scene, concentration camp, kids dying on the, just dying out there. Everybody's saying, and somebody screams, where is God now? Where is he now? Ezekiel said, from the inside of him, he could feel he's right there. Years later, as a seminarian, I, wrote, I read The Crucified God by Moltmann. He goes back to that scene to talk about God. Miroslav Volf, who read all of that stuff, he said, God, God does a couple things in our, in our life. God hurts with us, and God helps us. The whole world is groaning, Paul said in Romans. He also said, the Spirit groans. You serve a God that is familiar with every challenge you will ever face. Every pain, every temptation, every single thing. We don't pray a single prayer to God where God would say, I, you know, I just don't understand that. I don't get it. We serve a God that gets it. And that is moved in compassion for us. And a God, and a God that's there in the midst of our struggle to help. To be an ever-present help in time of trouble. And a God who there's to promise life. Because he's the God of eternal glory. And in the midst of life that is, he's given us a picture of the life that will be. And because of that, we are people of faith. And as people of faith, we are people of hope. So friends... Today, as we think about the world, we think about our countries, we think about our place in it, as we think about our neighbors, our lives, ourselves, there's plenty of reason to go, whoa! And the squirrel runs really fast sometimes. Don't buy into the lie that there's nothing you can do about it. You're not a victim of your thoughts. Think. Pray, connect, hope, hope in the Lord. God, we thank you for this day that you've given us to worship you. We thank you, God, that you are the God of life and peace. We thank you that you have made us and that you have given us minds 
to love you with and serve you with. Lord, help us to learn how to think and pray and resist the adversary. Help us to fall in love with you again and, and to encourage one another and, and serve and minister to one another, fulfilling the law of Christ. And God, plant deep in our heart a fresh vision of what is to come because of the victory of the gospel in Jesus our Lord. Lord, as we sing this last song, help us to seal, to seal fresh commitments. In the midst of our hearts, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Friends, I invite you to take your Bibles. Not your Bibles, we've already done that. Take your, take your hymnals uh, and let's sing together. Let's stand together.